Coming up on the program, we're going to take a look at the much maligned, misunderstood, not getting as much credit as it probably deserves action buddy comedy from 1988. Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, Midnight Run. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Oh, hello there, listener. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. This is Chris, this week along with Eric and Brian. Your crack Magnificently Huge Podcast team is going to set the Wayback Machine to 1988 to take a look at the, well, let's call it a sub-classic called Midnight Run with Robert De Niro in a rare early comedic role and Charles Grodin crushing it, as always, as Charles Grodin. In this weird buddy action road comedy thing uh, from the director of Beverly Hills Cop. It's an interesting artifact of the 80s in that it's actually kind of a quality movie that also sort of crams itself into the weird buddy comedy motif that was so prevalent back in that day. Uh, It's just a lot of movies, even that year, were mismatched pairs The straight man, the funny man, getting in each other's faces, getting on each other's nerves. Uh, and making a comedic gold out of it. Well, this one's not an outright laughy comedy. It's more character-driven, and because it's De Niro, you get a lot of the method stuff. It's very weird. Uh, I'm really sorry that it doesn't garner more respect today, because when you think 80s movies, this one does not leap automatically to the top of the pile, and that's a shame, because to me, it's one of the quintessential 80s movies. So that's what we're going to discuss today, for better or for worse. Uh, We'll see how it goes. But if you like what we have to say about stuff like this, then email us, magnificentlyhuge.gmail.com. You can get on our Twitter feed, like our page, at uh, MagHuge, share it with your friends and family. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, etc., etc. Or you can head over to our website, maghuge.com. We got links and show stuff there. And then you can also catch us wherever you find podcasts. So that's like iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and blah, blah, blah. So enough of my yapping. We're going to find out now why De Niro is so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department. Uh, as Charles Grodin says, deadpanedly. Is that a word? Deadpanedly? I don't know. Anyway, here's the show. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for sharing. Bye bye. Wow, okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Magnificent the Huge Podcast. I figured one of you would start talking. Yeah, I was just going to let you background music. We're going to let you propel ahead that shit till the end of time if you want to. This is Eric. I was waiting for it to go somewhere. Hey Eric, this is Brian. I just wanted to point out that 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 piece of um 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 salsa music or whatever that is, mambo music, a bum 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 bum. It's very standard lick. It is also the same melody as uh U2's Sunday Bloody Sunday. It's like hum that song in your head and then go. I think I heard the news today. Bum 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 bum. It works. Yeah, it totally does.
That's, hey, that's we didn't show. get a third name in there. Here's the third guy. <laughs> uh, this is Chris. Uh, kind of got just shoot off to the side by bum 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 Yeah, I can't, right? bum, 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 I can't get it. I can't get it out of my head because uh, last night I tried to watch In the Heights. Ooh. Okay. Oh, okay. Have we, is that already part of the fresh shit? <laughs> this shit is fresh. It's it sounds like it just might be. Yeah. All right. So tried to watch in the heights. Yeah. I heard you say. How That's, far did you get? Okay. I I got like oh, my wife and I both. We got just about past the halfway mark. It's two and a half hour film for starters. Yeah. And I. Okay. It, it was on. HBO for a couple of weeks and last night was the last night it was going to be available. So mm-hmm. we were like, okay, if we're going to watch it, we're going to watch it now. And so I, 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 and I did not care for Hamilton. I've seen, you know, the, the sort of staged production of it on TV. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, it, this all sounds the same. Also the history is wrong, but it all sounds the same. And and then In the Heights comes up, and this is um, Lin Manuel Miranda's show that was that won Tony's before Hamilton. This was his first one, right? And I'm like, okay, uh, well, let's see. And it's basically the same thing. It's it's a lot of rapping uh, in in a musical. Uh, lots of great numbers. I'll say that it's got some outstanding numbers. It uses. Uh, digital effects in a really smart, creative, and fun way. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 we're introduced to so many characters in the first half hour, right? Like before the first act is even done. It's just we're meeting more people, we're meeting more people, we're finding out their thing, we're meeting more people. We meet so many people, we don't care about any of them. <laughs> and as we move yeah. from one story to the next, we're like, I don't fucking care. There's there's one character, the the girl that our main character is pining after, who's really into fashion, I guess. And mm-hmm. all I got from, you know, like an hour and twenty minutes of this movie is that she's really kind of a bitch. I hope he doesn't end up with her, which is not what I was supposed <laughs> to think. But did they sing there's a song no about dramatic, it? There's no dramatic tension. Oh yeah, there's a dumbass song about it, and okay, and, and, and there's a blackout. Oh yeah, they keep telling you three days to blackout, two days to yeah. blackout. Yeah, and then the blackout happens, and it's like there's a an old woman lighting candles, singing, uh, "We are powerless." We are powerless. And I'm like, this is my nose. This is my nose. My finger is on the (laughs) nose. On the nose. Yeah. That's a a really subtle illusion are Your criticisms are similar to my wife's, which was that the the book is is kind of... It's it's not written at a very high grade level, let's just say. (laughs) Well, it's a musical. Come on. And the songs, there's not enough variety in the songs. Like the songs themselves kind of all mash together a bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. That was her her beef. Here's my thing with musicals these days is ever since I saw Team America, every single modern musical is ruined completely for me because it starts with Gary doing their rent number. Everyone has AIDS, 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 AIDS. And it just goes on and on. And it's so (laughs) spot on ridiculous. 
that I cannot get that out of my head anytime a modern musical comes out and the number shows up. I'm like, oh, yeah. it's just it's just rent. I think the reason so, this did so well on stage is that the music was not standard musical theater music. It was, you know, yeah. it was so ethnic. It was just so ethnic. Oh, that's another thing. All the white people <laughs> in here are like, they're not evil. They're not good. They're just sort of there and they are part of the problem. It's like they're all sort of nice people with a smile, but they're part of the problem. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I don't know about this. This this is like, well, okay, <laughs> we're all part of the problem, I guess. They're, they, it's like it, it it sort of glancingly looks at the racism in this country, but kind of paints everybody whoa. with it. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's not bring any of this critical race theory bullshit into the podcast, <laughs> sir. Okay, oh, that God. is just not happening. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sick of that argument. So, Eric, if you bailed, I mean, I, I, I don't blame you. I, I get why you were like, okay, this isn't for me. Um, yeah. the, you know, to your point though, some of the, some of the set pieces are really, you know, the ninety six thousand in particular is a, is is the showstopper. That's sort of earlier on. That's the big number in the. Is that pool. why they kept comparing it to Rent? One thousand seventy nine thousand six hundred minutes. <laughs> that oh, I did catch the pool. The when they're in the pool and they're yeah, all flopping. That's around. I'm great. Like, no, well, I okay. The opening number, I was like, oh, I like this. This is very well done. When we get to the pool, uh-huh. I'm like, oh, it's the opening number in water. Hmm. The other one, yeah. Is, the oh, other, it's it's the opening number with fireworks. Hmm. It's just. Mm. I, yeah. I like at some point you the spectacle is lost on me and I kind of want to get back to that story. Okay, in 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 the theater, musical theater, the story is secondary to the spectacle, the dance, the music. In the movie, right. it's the most important thing because we can see anything in a movie now. Yes. Yes. And this is the problem with the In the Heights movie because they they actually keep bring I I said this when I was brought it up which was there's there's num there's whole musical numbers that just should be cut from the movie. Yeah. Um because it's it's stops the story dead in its tracks and it's not the energy isn't reaching the audience the way it would in a live theater setting like there's a whole while the while the power's out there's like this whole you know everybody's in the alleyway in the heat number where which is just yeah it's just the story yeah. crashing into a brick wall and and doing nothing for a while and i think this, there, the there other- were two there were two great numbers in the back half of the movie that you probably missed one is the abuela's big song and the other is um a, a song with the couple, the the other two main characters, the the black friend and the girl who's back from Stanford, uh, and those were both really really well shot and edited from a doing a musical as a film perspective, right? Um, but but yeah, the story is like wow, I am not relating to these characters, <laughs> and and any one of those stories I think on their own would be fine. But the other problem it has is that everyone is so happy to be around each other and it's family here in, you know, Brooklyn Heights or wherever. And, and everything is, you know, like another day, another dollar. Hey, how you doing? There is no mm-hmm. dramatic tension because everyone is just 
bopping along with their day and no one's really connecting with any of these micro stories. And it's like in, in form it's do the right thing, but it's, it has none of the, uh, the reasoning behind it. It's like in do the right thing. You could pop from character to character to character. And there was a reason you were only getting a bit of it because they're all in the same story but they're giving you a little piece of it in bites. This is several different stories going off in, you know, bizarre directions and not really intersecting, but everybody's happy. It's like, what? Yeah. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stop I'm glad you, you, I'm glad you liked it. Four out of five yeah. stars. I mean, he, he turned it <laughs> off halfway through. I didn't through. finish it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. I yeah. didn't even start I'm, it. So I think we're all a wide picture of the audience for this particular yeah. movie. I, I thought it was interesting. I looked at the, the director's filmography, and it's like, it's like he did um, uh, crazy, crazy Asians. Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Crazy Rich yeah. Asians. And uh, Justin Bieber, you know, never say never or whatever. Like like a couple of Justin Bieber concert films. I'm like, yeah. hmm, this is the highs and the lows. Okay. Yeah. And he'll probably eventually direct a Fast and Furious. <laughs> it's a, yeah, well, I screwed who, that up. I, I, I credited him as one of the Fast and Furious people when I brought this to the show, and then I, I was very wrong. Well, uh, yeah, no, it's he's the director of uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, but don't uh, kid yourself, <laughs> uh, it's coming. They say they're only going to yeah. make eleven Fast and Furious movies, but I guarantee you they'll keep making them until people stop. Oh, going. they really? I don't know, man. This last one sucked. So but anyway, <laughs> shocking. That is shocking. like even as a Fast and the Furious movie, it sucked. Okay. You know. I think maybe they need to turn Fast and Furious into a musical and let Lin Manuel Miranda direct it, right? Ooh. Uh, all right. What else you got, Eric? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I okay. I uh, as as you may or may not have seen in the news, the uh, Champlain condo towers in Surfside, Florida, collapsed. This has been all over the news. Mm-hmm. There's a great YouTube video that I want to put into the description for this show. That explains right. exactly what happened and why it collapsed. And I'm, it's all from uh, this engineer on YouTube, uh, Jeff Ostroff. And he, exp- there's, there's some really, he, he, somebody put in some music here and there, which I don't think is necessary. But the point is, you listen to him going over the photos they had in the video before and during the collapse, and you realize, oh, Oh, this is what did it, and they knew about it since 2018 that this was going to happen, and then it happened. So, so, are we spreading conspiracy theories in the show notes right now? Is that what just happened? <laughs> no, no, no. This is all <laughs> okay. You know, it's like they, they, they. Uh, uh, the conspiracies are like it was a controlled demolition, that kind of bullshit. No, no, no. It was just you know ignorance and ineptness, you know, but. It is it is really a fascinating uh, look and 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 check it out. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. I'm into I'm into engineering and I'm into disasters and so I thought this was you know yeah. really neat stuff especially since you know you've yeah. got this well gory what's disaster. Funny is it, like my wife works for a nonprofit that uh, basically works with Texas engineers professional engineers. 
and mm-hmm. they keep a lobbyist on hand to make sure that uh, the engineers, the PEs, have to stay certified. Uh, and a lot of the legislators in the state are trying to do away with that so that the PE can just sign off on anything is not held liable. And if they don't Ooh. do that, then you see shit like what happened with the Champlain Towers where the stuff, the infrastructure just starts to fall apart. And yeah. they can't hey, really- Hey man, and they what have you got against freedom? Why do you hate America? Uh, I don't <laughs> oh. have the time to go into it, sir. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. You know, every time somebody says, you know, the market will take care of it. It's like, these people got squashed. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of, that's like over 70 people that just got turned into a fine paste. And yeah, yeah we, that's because there wasn't enough oversight. You yeah. know, they weren't regulated. I, yeah. I live in a state that lost power for four and a half days on the coldest week of the fucking year in 30 years. I got no sympathy for, for freedom when it. But you, you were mean these things get these bureaucracies and these regulations exist for a reason. Yeah, you think what? Uh, Admit it, Chris. What? Though you're you're happy to have gone that long without power because you get to have your own grid. I mean, you're that you're very pleased with that. Okay. Yeah, I'm so satisfied with the grid that yeah. doesn't fucking work when it's either too yeah. hot or too cold. Yes, I am because freedom. <laughs> Because I'm free. Yeah. Don't you feel free? Yeah. How free are you? And that lady over there can't get her a- abortion, and that brown guy over there can't vote now, but every asshole can carry a gun whenever they want to on the yeah. fucking street. I yeah. am so happy. And, <laughs> and and I'm not going to get vaccinated because it's my body, my choice, and uh, uh, you can't have an abortion because not your body, not your choice. Yeah. Wow, this yeah. this took a weird turn free. fast, didn't it? <laughs> I, I I gotta tell you, it is tough on this show not talking about shit that's actually going on because it drives yeah. me fucking crazy. Yeah, as it should. Yeah, because the world has just gone completely, completely into the worst timeline. Yeah. 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 Seriously. <laughs> life is shit. Life is shit. The world is shit. This is, yeah, this is like that weird void in Loki that they wind up in. You know I, what I mean? I keep thinking it's actually the beginning of the mirror universe in Star Trek. It's like, this is, <laughs> See, there you, you, you push it forward on a long enough timeline. We're the ones that have the, um, Bam. the, 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 the yeah, pen no. devices and, and a Spock it's, with a Frank Frazetta <laughs> mustache. It, it's so much more clearly yeah, the beginning yeah. of idiocracy. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, I <laughs> We're agree. just going to have giant garbage heaps and yeah. you know huge Costco's and, and electrolytes. <laughs> it's what plants crave. Yeah, <laughs> you know Jesus. something. It's I just found out something. It's like they they made that movie with a lot of funding that came from companies that were going to get mentioned in the movie. You know, like like any. <laughs> You know, Carl's like when they show genius. a Coke. Fuck you, I'm eating. Yeah, yeah when, they sh- when they show a Coke and it's like Coke gave them money for the production, th- all these companies were pissed and wanted to be taken out of the movie when they found out how they were going to get used. <laughs> Can you imagine Costco paid to yeah, be really. referred to as, yeah, just, just which, taking which, over a sea of stupid? 
Yeah, but which I refer them to the the film career of Mike Judge is like, did you not ever see anything that that man ever made? <laughs> you they probably did money. <laughs> probably ass. not. I mean, remember, yeah. like Office Space, would you know, didn't didn't sell any uh, Happy Meals. Yeah. It That's was true. just, yeah. Okay. Well, All right. Well, so, then, uh, Chris, it sounded like you were trying to segue. Were you trying to segue? Well, only because Eric is just blathering on about, you know, buildings collapsing and the infrastructure <laughs> tearing us all apart and everything is yep. horrible. Thanks a lot, Eric. Really being a Debbie hey, Downer, look, man. Look on the good news. We only really have about 15 to 20 more years of this shit before we're that's, dead. That's true. I mean, nice to be old, you know. Oh, that does remind <laughs> me. I, I, the footage of the Gulf of Mexico when it was on fire. And you had that helicopter flyby just circling it. Did that not look like a scene from a Roland Emmerich movie? <laughs> I mean, I literally thought it was like a sequel to like the, the day after tomorrow. I mean, it was just like, what the hell? So, yeah. Just hell mouth. Yeah. There, yeah a lot of people were sort of saying, who had kaiju on their 2021 video? <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. God bless Cabin in the Woods. Uh, <laughs> but no, no real segue. Uh, but I did watch one thing. You... Go ahead. Uh, so on Hulu, there's a, a music documentary that's come out that uh, Questlove has done called Summer of Soul. Okay. Which okay. basically uh, in 1969, uh, there was a series of concerts done in Harlem in a park. It was like free concerts, like tens of thousands of people showed up. Uh, just all of these luminaries from the music scene were doing bits there. Uh, so you had like Sly and the Family Stone and Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, the Staple Singers, Gladys Knight and the Pips. Uh, and they did a, they filmed it. They like tele, like televised or, or videotaped it. But then all the footage just sat in a basement for 50 years and it just basically got erased from memory because Woodstock happened that same year. And that's what got all the mm. press. So basically, a white event just destroyed a black event. And while you were naming all those those acts, I wanted to say and Shanana, right? Yeah, yeah. But definitely. then you mentioned Woodstock, and what's the point? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but they don't really go into a lot of the like the racism thing and how America's just inherently broken. Uh, they really d- just did the positive aspect of it, where it's they were showing the footage to the some of the performers for the first time, not Stevie wonder, obviously, but most of the rest of them. And they were sort of reminiscing about when they were performing. Uh, and then they would just show a lot of the footage and it's just, it's really good. If you like that sort of music, uh, it's just, it's a fucking phenomenal time capsule. So is it, is the movie more of like, or first of all, is it a movie or is it a series? I it's, guess it's just a movie, a documentary. And it's then, like okay, hours. so it's a documentary, so it's talking heads, so you don't just, it's not just the performances then, right? You're just no. getting clips of them and then people talking about them? You basically get the, like, full song performances, and then they, oh, okay. they cut into various of the entertainers and, and people that were actually there uh, reminiscing about it. And some of the people are like, yeah, I kind of just forgot that it even happened because it just got erased from the historical record. And they were just like, Jesus. holy shit. It's like, and then you could tell like all of the memories are just flooding back to them from this, yeah. uh, just stellar live wow. show that they saw in Harlem in 1969 that nobody knew about for some reason. It's just so bizarre. It's like, it just fell into the void. Uh, but the performances are, 
are just amazing. Like Stevie Wonder was only like 19, I think, uh, when he was performing. Uh, and then you get Nina Simone just gut punching you with her activist stuff that's just as relevant today as it was then. Uh, and then the Fifth Dimension doing their like uh, Aquarius, let the, the love shine in. Let the sunshine in. Yeah, yep. from, uh, okay. from Hair. And then you get, and you get a couple of them uh, talking about it. And they're like, yeah, like, everybody was surprised that we were not white <laughs> when that came out. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, they, you know, they, they're not pulling any punches. It was just a weird time Fifth, culturally. Fifth Dimension was one of those albums my mom had that was like yeah. that yeah. and Neil Diamond, where it was like the, the coolest music my mom listened <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> let's be real. Fifth Dimension is very accessible. <laughs> Let's <laughs> you know it's not uh, in your face. It's just sort of there. It's like uh, the Neil Sadaka of ethnic music, I guess. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, but Sly and the Family Stone just crush it. I love Sly and the Family Stone, especially seeing their live stuff. It's just they are so on every time they play, and it's just yeah, you get up, you're like fuck yeah. So <laughs> it's a if you like concert movies, but you also like a little bit of uh, history. And commentary peppered in. This is definitely one that'll do you well. Uh, and what was it called again? It's called Summer of Soul. Summer of Soul yeah, on Hulu. On Hulu. And then there's like a right whole, on. like a whole middle section where they do the gospel stuff. So you get like the staple singers, and then you get uh, Jesse Jackson up there talking because it's after uh, Martin Luther King has been shot, and so you can tell everybody's really on edge. And that was one of the reasons that the guy that put on the the concert series was doing it was so that he could sort of give the city a bomb so that people wouldn't just tear everything the fuck apart because everything was just going to shit. Uh, so there's a lot of this weird underlying buzz to it. They had, it's much like Woodstock had like, or Altamont had the Hells Angels for security. This place had like Black Panthers for security, but there were no incidents unlike the fucking Hells Angels at Altamont. <laughs> so it's just like this weird, like, I mean, not to do, be cute and, uh, and, you know, be cliche, but a very a black and white kind of a thing. It's like this oh. could have, this, this went off without a hitch and it just got erased from history. It's so weird to me, but uh, it's fun. I All liked right. it. So I highly recommend. That's really it. Anything else on your end, Chris? Uh, fresh it? No. I mean, still going with Loki, but I don't really want to talk about that right now until it's over. Yeah, let's do Loki after it's over. Yeah. All right. Um, so I've got a couple of... Uh, okay. Movies? <laughs> Did you go see Black Widow? Not yet. Okay. I'm going to see that later today. So that'll be next week. We'll, I'll do Black okay. Widow. Because I'm, I'm waiting um, on that one. I don't really have a desire to see that one. Yeah. I'm not paying I 30 think the bucks. MCU is done. That's the thing. Yeah. I want to I want to give this a little time, but I think I think the whole operation is through. I yeah. I don't think we have to see these anymore. Yeah. Agreed. Well, <laughs> I will go see the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh oh, yeah. just cuz I'm curious and, to see how Sam Raimi does with an MCU flick. Well, not just that, but be, bear in mind that um Thor Love and Thunder is Taika Waititi mm-hmm. getting to play with the Guardians of the Galaxy oh, characters. That's, that's true. Okay. As well as uh, Natalie Portman as as Lady Thor, and yeah. that's probably going to be hilarious. Anyway, yeah, sorry to do. Uh, no, what I did watch this week. <laughs> um, okay, so a musical. I also watched a movie musical uh, this week, Eric. But this one was called Opening Night. 
Opening Night is a 2016 movie that seems to have been brought into the world by Topher Grace. Uh, Topher Grace from that 70s show and who also played the first version of Venom in Spider-Man 3. Um, it is about the opening night of a, I hope it's off-Broadway, but a, a theater production of a musical called One Hit Wonderland, which is a jukebox musical made of nothing but one-hit wonder songs. <laughs> and... The movie itself is a jukebox musical made of one-hit wonder songs and stars both the movie and the show. J.C. Chazes, who is wrestling with the fact that he's that other guy from NSYNC that nobody cares <laughs> yeah, the about. one that nobody remembers. <laughs> yeah. Bye-bye-bye. Yeah. Um, it is... Oh, yeah, yeah, and he's he's just playing himself as a total douche, and the musical is deliberately awful. You know, and, and so they're pulling songs like Mambo Number no. 5 and, uh, you know, okay. the, whatever. Well, let me ask you this. It's it's just bad. It's, it's funny. How does it stack up against something like, say, Rock of Ages? I, you know, I haven't seen Rock of Ages. Okay. I haven't uh, either, no, but this, I know it's a jukebox. This is, this is a small, you know, low-budget... Thing. They just—they're just doing it to do it because it's fun. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a trifle, but I—I I was entertained. Yeah, it—it—it's a brisk like eighty-five <laughs> minutes. You know, you get in, you watch it, you get out. It's—it's fine. I it, love it. it. Every time we do this, we yeah. run the gamut. Like one of us is like, "This movie was bullshit." I turned it off. One of us is like, "Yeah, you could do worse." And then one of us is like, "Oh, it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> You get oh, no. all this you get is, all angles. This is not the most yeah. amazing thing you've seen. No. Right, but I'm talking but, like but Eric, it, Eric couldn't watch his. I loved mine, and now you're just sort of oh, okay. Eh, whatever. It, you can do mine. <laughs> well, I'm I'm going into low expectations uh, content this week. I mean, okay. opening night was not expected to be great, right? But okay. it, I was entertained. I laughed at some stuff. It's okay. fine. I got you. You know. Okay. <laughs> um. It it doesn't take itself seriously, nor should it. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I kind of want Eric to watch it. <laughs> yeah, please, um, and, because and film he's it. down for the stupid musicals, yeah. and this is yeah. a stupid one. Yeah, um, yeah, especially the jukebox musicals. Love oh yeah, so Love opening him. night. I think I think it was on Hulu. It might have been on Netflix. I'm not. Okay. Yeah, I know. I think it's on Netflix actually. Uh, so yeah, he, he can kill 90 minutes this way. Um, and then last night I went to an Alamo Drafthouse screening, uh, of 1987's Hot Ticket to Hawaii. Ooh, Andy Sedaris classic. That's got the best theme so, song. It was a hot ticket to Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> see, so Chris actually knows this. I had not seen this. Who doesn't this. know? He's, Andy Sedaris has got like a whole multiverse of movies centered on this basic concept of like naked women, beefcake dudes, and banana hammocks doing like what counts as spy work. I use the term loosely. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all fucking I think terrible. I, I think I saw Red Letter Media re- uh, reviewing this on one of their best of the worst shows. Yeah. It's that's about uh, oh, as yeah. much of it as I I know. Now it, was, it is absolutely one that you hate watch, right? It's 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 one of those so bad it's funny now, kind this, of movies. It's hard to get right? to the Hawaii. Is that the one with the 
like the snake that's yes. Terra that yes. like makes it makes no sense so as any sort of subplot. There's the snake that's been infected by cancerous <laughs> rats. Yeah. Therefore, it's really really dangerous. Yeah. Yes. There's like the, the like the the mix up in the the warehouse or something, and then the hot chicks who run yeah. a cargo plane service as a cover like take the wrong snake to some vacation spot where this couple is also vacationing on the beach or something. It's just so retarded. Oh, <laughs> you, if you if you go to like the Wikipedia page for this movie and you're like who who are these people who are in it? Every woman in it is like, and she was Playmate of the Month and this year, yeah. a month, the year of 1980-something, and so was this one. Yeah, that's the he, beauty. He's just got a bunch of Playboy centerfolds. And don't forget Penthouse who, Pets. Like, he, did, he didn't sure. discern. But yeah, literally, it's like, <laughs> they're, they're like 90-minute movies with a very rudimentary, like, hour-long TV show plot that yeah. gets padded out by, like, 30 minutes of naked women. And then right. a couple of explosions. Because they wanted to sell it to Skinamax. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah, basically where much, I saw you know, them all, like, yeah. They literally say things like, I do my best thinking in the hot tub. Yeah. And as they go, and then there's a scene in the hot tub, and they talk for like a couple minutes, and they solve their problem, and then they get out of the hot tub. Because they're done thinking. Yeah. And they don't need the hot tub That's anymore. That's such the beauty of it, right? too, because there's always like this... this like time element where they have to do something or else the shit's gonna go hit the fan and they're just taking their sweet ass time like in a shower oh, or a jacuzzi oh, just like no no concern for no, anything two of them actually like at, at one point they're like you know we've got to go rescue our kidnapped friend you know in the morning but first me and this other dude are gonna like go off on a date for like I don't know, 36 hours, or maybe it was supposed to just be <laughs> yeah. that night. I don't know. Yeah. They, like, go off and they're, do a whole bunch yeah, of, like, get naked, and then they come back. Oh. Yeah, this this movie isn't even trying to really hold a plot together. It's if, just an excuse for them to, like, make explosions happen oh, and yeah. show boobies. Well, this is the thing. Like, yeah. they always cast, like, a beefcake bohunk dude as the hero. But the main oh, yeah. gist no, the is men like, are definitely models yeah, too. Yeah, but in none of the movies, this is the shtick. In none of the movies that I've seen or remember, they they make a joke out of the fact that the guys cannot shoot anything. It's like they miss everything yes. they they shoot at, and that's a running gag from movie to movie. And it's a different actor every time, if I remember correctly. But that's the gag: is they oh. can never shoot straight. The gag in this one is that the only thing this guy can hit a moving target with is this rocket launcher <laughs> yeah they call it a bazooka but it's this four rocket rocket launcher yeah. well, and oh, that's yeah. where he's accurate is with that thing it's so d- um, like like you should watch uh picasso trigger next which i think was the one after hard ticket to hawaii because it's basically <laughs> where you start to see the prototype for the fast and the furious franchise because they branch out into like international spidem and they've got like oh, this God. whole family of uh super handsome beautiful agents that were next to nothing and do their spy work. But basically every bad guy ends up getting destroyed by some sort of rigged explosive on some sort of like RC toy, like a helicopter or a dune buggy or whatever. They can never just like shoot them or throw a grenade or whatever. They have to like Jerry rig this like little remote controlled dune buggy or something and then launch it and then explode. This I've got to give a lot of respect to the guy that makes these movies, right? Because what's <laughs> yeah. he done? He's got himself a way to be in Hawaii, yeah. right? He's actually got some, you know, he gets to play with some toys. So they've got like some airplane shots and some helicopter shots. There's no way he's not fucking some of shots. those women. <laughs> yeah, and and then he gets a bunch of naked people, yeah. right? And and gets away with well, it. You know, okay, good job, dude. They're so, they're, <laughs> you did, you they're, did it. They're so like 
just turn off your fucking brain genius. It's like what every 14-year-old boy wants in a movie. But then when you watch it as an adult, you're like, this, I cannot believe that somebody made this thing. It's like, what adult in his right mind would make this? This, this, this movie has a guy who does handstands on a skateboard and carries a blow-up doll that's an assassin. I oh, mean, Christ, I forgot about that. Yes, skateboard like, blow-up like, doll assassin like is they're, in this movie. Like, they're driving down the road, and then he, like, swings by, and they're like, that's kind of yeah. weird. And then he, like, gets into the back of the truck or something that his other henchman buddy is with, and then they have to drive past... I think, and then they go down the road, and then the guy gets out with the blow-up doll and the gun, and they say, okay, now when you go by, shoot him. It's like, why didn't you just shoot him when you drove past in the first place? It's well, like, I was doing a handstand the first time. It's hard to fire your gun doing a handstand oh on a skateboard. But yeah, they're no, it's, so, yeah, it's... Oh my God. And there's there's a pair of nunchucks that never get used like nunchucks. Yeah. Okay, there's like one scene where there's the the, the badass bad guy girl, and she's just holding the nunchucks and not spinning them. But when we actually see a fight with the nunchucks, they're held as a pair in the hand and used as a club by yeah. two different characters. Yes, yeah. it's great. But the, but the dialogue is just amazing, if I recall, because it's literally they're tele- oh, it's, they're telegraphing every scene as it's happening, just so the audience doesn't lose track of what's going on. It's like oh. <laughs> Like the I can't think remember like one girl is not actually an official agent she's just there under like witness yeah, protection yeah, she's or something. Yeah, a citizen who just is a James Bond fan. Yeah. yeah, who keeps like mentioning that. Well, I know I'm not an official member of the team, but I'm totally gonna help you shoot these people. I mean, it's just shit like that. <laughs> no, this is the movie where one guy gets killed with a frisbee with razor blades <gasps> stuck in it. Oh, that's right. Holy fuck. Yeah, I got some swag. I've I have now got a um. A hot ticket to Hawaii frisbee that's got <laughs> like stuff screen printed on it from the movie. Yes. Oh, so well. Do yourself a favor and and watch some of the rest of the series because they just get weirder and crazier, and it literally is like the prototype Fast and the Furious because it's just no. this whole world, and there's no continuity from one movie to the like actresses that get killed there's in one no movie. Continuity in the movie. Yeah, but this <laughs> is the beauty. I'm not watching any of them. Uh, I'm out. No, forget it. They're like, sounds they're like horrible. Why would you like, do this to yourself? Because it's like 33% tit. That's literally the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of boobs. Do you in know these how movies. much? Like, do, you, do you know how easy it is to to see a naked woman now? I mean, in less right. than 30 seconds, I can have one on several different screens. Right. Why would but I that's, sit through shit movies like this? Yeah. But that's the beauty titties. of them is that they were made in the 80s and into the 90s, it's like pre-internet. So this is literally what teenage boys had to do to get their kicks because they couldn't just go online. You know what I mean? It's like, right. wait for wait for Showtime After Dark and, oh, hot ticket to Horizon. When I was your boy, we yeah. had to steal porn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it just, yeah, but they're so dumb. But it's like uh, definitely in the grindhouse oove. Oh, I yeah. mean, it, they're and, just, they're and, following. And the, the love scenes are like, yeah. like, the characters are clearly, you know, it's like, okay, try to pose so that we can catch as much of, of the naked girl as possible, yeah. and then try to make it look somehow natural. No. Yeah. No, it does not look any at all natural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it is, so it is trash. It's yeah. 100% trash, but what's fun is to go to a theater full of people who are there to expect it to be trash, and everybody laughs at it. Yeah. It's, that was that was time. why it's worth well, seeing. In in looking up on the Wikipedia, so Andy Sedaris, the guy that produces and writes and directs these things, he got his start as one of the first directors for ABC's Wide World of Sports, and I guess right. he's the guy that invented the lingering shot of the cheerleader. <laughs> so you can yep, kind of see where the cheerleader or the hot fans because yeah. he didn't want people to change the channel. Yeah, uh, genius man, fucking Andy Sedaris. 
Good lord. Anyway, so so that's my that's my fresh shit. And you're dumber for having watched it. Fresh goes better. All right, let's get on with the show. Totally. Midnight Run, right? Am I right? Yeah. <sighs> so <laughs> let, let, let's set the stage, tell people what Midnight Run is, but yeah, I'll get into it. <laughs> uh, well, the reason that I, I brought this one up as a show idea is just because recently we've lost both Yafet Kato and Charles Grodin. Uh, and when Charles Grodin died not too long ago, my first instinct was, oh shit, I should watch Midnight Run again. Uh, and I hadn't yet. So I thought this was an opportunity to rectify that. But Midnight Run came out in 1988. It's a total standard 80s mismatched buddy action adventure, whatever. Road trip, road trip movie, yeah. Uh, thing with De Niro. It, it's a little like his first real commercial comedic role. Comedy, yeah. Yeah. Like I, King of Comedy, you can almost count, but that's that's really a stretch to call that one just a direct straight up comedy because it's Scorsese and it's really bleak. Uh, and it's not supposed to be funny. I mean, it's yeah. about a comedian, but that's yeah. like saying the Joker is a comedy. Yeah. So this, right. this was his first like sort of uh, branch out uh, into commercial co- comic And it's before he did like analyze this and meet the parents where he's just aping his persona for the joke. This one, he's actually looking like he's giving it a, a full on go. Uh, but it's method acting, the <laughs> bounty hunter. Yeah, but it's definitely yes. within that. Did like, De Niro go capture people? <laughs> to, to, he did. To, to well, prepare we for did. this film. Uh, a bail bondsman okay. is supposed to bring a mob accountant across the country. The mob accountant embezzled money from the mob, so the mob wants him dead. Yeah. And the accountant keeps trying to louse up the trip, you know, to L.A. from Chicago because. Obviously, he doesn't want to be brought in, right? And hijinks ensue. That's basically the wah, the wah. yes, yeah. The so FBI's after him. Another bounty hunters after him. The mobs after him, and of course, the whole time Charles Grodin is the accountant keeps trying to fuck up Robert De Niro, yeah. the bail bondsman, bringing yeah. him in. And I really, I, I watched this again, and I mean, I'm I'm sorry, I don't think it holds up. Still, I was watching yeah. it, going, yeah, this really only survives on uh de niro who this was funny because he hadn't done a comedy yet right and he's funny and his relationship with groden the right. two of them working together is amazing they just they, they they're just so good together right nothing else about this movie works well, and that's the and rest that's of so, it is just dopey yeah that's funny because my reaction was i had this memory of it being this really funny movie ding, and just thinking charles ding, groden was hilarious ding, and yeah. I watched it and I'm like, this isn't funny at all. Yeah, None of it yeah. is making me laugh. Well, no, I'm, I don't. I'm not really digging the dynamic between De Niro and Grodin. I was, I was enjoying the scenes between De Niro and Yafet Koto. Really? <laughs> oh, don't um, get me wrong. I wasn't. Yeah. I'm not saying that you know it, it, those two are the ones that make it funny. The movie still isn't funny. It's just the two of them together is fun yeah. to watch. I didn't actually well, laugh yeah. at any well, of it. And I'm I'm glad you both brought those points up because that's sort of the gist of my thesis for this show today is that it never comes up when people talk about favorite movies of the 80s, that kind of thing. It's always sort of a second tier player where you finally like go, oh, you remember Midnight Run? And then people go, oh, yeah. And I think it's because it's just it didn't do gangbusters at the box office when it came out. 
and it kind of found it came out the same week as Die Hard. Yeah. And so it was sort of just this <laughs> this movie that sort of came and went and it was only seen be based on the oddity of De Niro doing a comedy. Uh but people don't really remember it as well these days, which is just weird because you think De Niro, but uh, mm-hmm. there's a whole, the whole movie is marketed yeah. on the notion that everybody wants Charles Grodin to shut the fuck up, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> right. But, but for me, it's the movie, the, the, the strength of it is the actual interaction. I mean, it's, if those two don't have the chemistry, it does not work in any way, shape or form. But the genesis of that is so strange to me because it started at Paramount with Martin Brest, who was coming off of Beverly Hills Cop. And it was and called so, Hard Ticket to Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> and there were way more tits at the time. But yeah. uh, Martin Brest, you, who you'll know from such you know, creative masterpieces as Scent of a Woman and Gigli. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think he got a lot of mileage out of this film. Yeah. But Beverly Hills Cop pretty much put him on the map. And then this was his follow-up. And so the studio kept trying to shove all these different actors at him to play the Charles Grodin character, the the Duke. And I think at one point they wanted Cher. And <laughs> they were like, because they wanted some sort of like sexual dynamic. And Martin Bress is like, no, that's just no, not happening. And then they threw Robin Williams at them because he was coming off of Good Morning Vietnam. And they thought that would be a good dynamic. Mm. But that just to me sounds like the worst fucking idea ever. Like De Niro... <laughs> And then that manic oh, Robin God. Williams thing, it's like, no, there's at no point during that interaction would I even uh, think that De Niro would go more than like half a day without just shooting him in the fucking face. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> you know, it's just like, that doesn't work. You need Grodin's sort of like slow burn, deadpan, just I'm going to needle you and needle you and needle you. Well, and, you know. Yeah. And it works for the character, right? Because the character is a guy who fucked over the mob. Yeah. Right. And. And so he's always got this sort of like undercurrent simmering in his eyes, right? Where he's just like, I hate you and I hate everybody (laughs) and I don't care and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do my thing. Well, I mean, it's just the scene is set really well because like it takes like 15 or 20 minutes to get to Grodin. So you have De Niro's uh, skip tracer, bounty hunter, whatever, uh, finding him in New York through the various shenanigans of that work. And then his whole thing is like, well, I got five days to get him back to LA. No problem. We'll get on a plane. And that's when Grodin starts pulling the, I can't fly nonsense. And then that just sort of spins out of control and sets it on the road adventure. And then you find that that was a giant lie. But then through the course of their adventure, they sort of open up to each other a little bit and gain a little bit of respect. But the thing that always makes me laugh through it is Grodin will not stop going from scene to scene going, why are you so unpopular with Chicago Police Department? Why are you so unpopular with Chicago Police Department? And he just doesn't just like his mantra. And you can just see De Niro as his, as his character just getting more and more visibly constrained by it. Like, I'm just going to beat the living shit out of you if you don't shut up. <laughs> and that's sort of the dynamic. And it works. It's almost like a, a Hope Crosby road movie in a way uh, after a mm-hmm. while, which is goofy because Groden had also just been an Ishtar with Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty doing that same sort of thing. And Grodin was like the, the FBI guy on their tail. So it's like really weird fit in with that sort of move. But then you round out the cast. You've got as Yafakado as agent Alonzo Mosley, 
who De Niro has stolen his badge and is impersonating him. So everywhere he goes, people piss him off because they go, oh, you were already here. And then he's pissed off. And then you got John Uh, Ashton. Yeah. No, I was going to say Farina. This is a a, a classic part for... Yeah. And it, during th- during the Farina Renaissance, right when in, during which like he had Crime Story on yeah. you know TV a couple mm-hmm. years before, and then he was playing all these kinds of mob characters. This yeah. was actually during Crime Story because that's why all this stuff is in Vegas is because he was still shooting. Oh, okay. Crime it Story was season two of Crime Story, yeah. and so they, he couldn't leave. I see. So that's good stuff. But yeah, he's got great lines. Like, is this more on number one? Put more on number two on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you two had better get involved in your work or I'm going to stab you through the heart with a fucking pencil. <laughs> so it's, it's, and it sort of it solidifies Farina. Dennis Farina. Dennis. Dennis. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah. He's uh, awesome. He's, it's, he's so good. This is only second to his role in uh, Get Shorty for me as far as just sheer Dennis yep, Farina. Yep. Yeah. Uh, former cop. He was a yeah, former cop. Exactly. And then you got uh, John Ashton as. Marvin, the inept uh, bounty hunter, other bounty hunter that is, yeah. is set on his on his trail, and then keeps trying to uh, poach his <laughs> his catches, and then he's just a big fucking idiot through the whole thing. I, I like to think of his character as actually the same character from Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, and he's just like his life has just gone down the tubes, and he's he's depressed, and you know he's yeah. resorting to this. Yeah, no, he's he's actually he's like basically like if the Judge Reinhold character from Beverly Hills Cop grew up a little bit uh, and lost his job. That's what it reminds me of uh, for this. <laughs> uh, and so you've got them, and then rounding out the top tier cameo sort of sub tier characters is uh, Joey Pantoliano, Joey Pants as the bail bondsman who's just a total scuzz uh, and keeps <laughs> <laughs> and keeps trying to screw everybody over uh left and right so and that's the thing i do respect about the movie right like it it as a and and you know people who've actually got an education in this correct me but as a script i think it works pretty well right like there's all these characters and they have the different motivations and they interact in interesting ways yeah like the actual story that's being told works pretty well it just i was expecting it to be funnier I think yeah, it's I think it's well written. I my my problem is comedy does not age. You know, it's like this right. is all a type of funny that in the eighties worked and right. doesn't now. Even if you've never seen it, you're gonna go. This is just sort of cliche uh, uh, gags or punchlines yeah. yeah. or whatever. And though I gotta say, a lot of these sort of visual jokes that De Niro does are hilarious because. Yeah. He's good. He can do this. But yeah, as written, I think I think it's a very tight story. It's just Yeah, yeah. Well yeah. what's comedy weird is it doesn't age. Didn't we do a show on comedy doesn't age well? Yes, yes did. we did. And this is definitely yeah. one of those. Well what's funny is that apparently this is touted by a lot of uh people in the industry, screenwriters and such, as sort of an inspiration for them. It's sort of just a very tight mm. script. And so I can see it because it definitely has act one, act two, act three. It's very mm-hmm. well laid out. Uh, but again, it's just, it's not really jokey. The whole thing is premised on this interaction between the two main characters, De Niro and Groden. And if that doesn't work, then you literally have no movie. But I think so it, there, there is one part of the movie that should have been edited out, like really should have been edited out. And that is, there's this detour 
that they take in Chicago where De Niro goes to the house uh, of his estranged okay. wife and his teenage daughter. And, you know, she's moved on. She's been living with this other dude for like nine years. The teenager <laughs> hasn't seen yeah. him. And yet somehow they're like, here, take my car. Take all the money I've saved. Here you go. Bye. Well, uh, you know, I saw that you are on TV as a criminal. Yeah. Here well, you I'm, go. I'm glad you, know? you brought that up, but that's basically the whole reason that scene is in there is so that you, as an audience member, can actually see firsthand everything that De Niro's character lost by not going on the payroll of Dennis Farina's gangster character. That's why that's in okay. there. Because they can tell you about it all you want, but it doesn't really register until you see that he's not going to get his family back and he's fucked. Yeah. And so... And honestly, that that would have worked great if the daughter and the wife hadn't just given him everything in the universe. Like, why did they help him? Well, it, it wasn't know. motivated. I mean, you know, it's kind of like watching Commando and then thinking, well, how did they get the plane and how are they going to fly there? I mean, it's you can't start <laughs> nitpicking because otherwise every 80s action movie would just fall apart completely. I, and I think actually, now that now that you mention it, I think it does kind of work because it means they do still love him. That makes it even more mm. tragic. Yeah. Yeah, it's even more oh, okay. tragic that they can't be together because they do love him and he does love them. But, yeah. you know, the circumstances have divided them and that's it. So, yeah. So, you, like, yeah, the, you, the very least they can do is give him cash in a car. Yeah. And so mm. that sort of sets the stage for the sort of the the coming to terms with De Niro and Groden on the train like you it becomes more organic and suddenly it's like they kind of reach an agreement that you know we're each of us yeah we're both kind of dicks but we're also kind of generally human so we can find a middle ground and that sort of makes it a little bit more believable when they actually lighten up with each other and then it kind of moves the the plot forward and then gets to the the end when De Niro gets him to LA and then decides to just let him go because everybody else is a fucking asshole. And then you find out that the Duke has got still like 300 grand on him and he gives it to De Niro. And so that, that ending doesn't seem like just totally out of the blue because of all the pieces they put in place. Up to yeah. That point. And that's fair. That's fair. So it's, yeah, it's I, not, I like, it's not elegant. I, I, I do like that De Niro's dream is to open a coffee shop yeah. and, uh, um, what's his name just wants to escape that the Duke wants yeah. to just, you know, it, escape and i i keep thinking the reality is like after the credits you can cut to six months later in his coffee shop going out of business <laughs> yeah which yeah, goes and that, and yeah. and charles groden being discovered in the back trunk of a car you know with his balls in his mouth so <laughs> shut you know yeah. by the mob because they did find him yeah well that is at least that is a good exchange early on on the train uh, when Groden just keeps going, as your accountant, I would advise you not to open a restaurant. It's a very bad investment. He's not saying as an accountant. He's like, <laughs> as your accountant. And so you can see if this I sort were of, your accountant. Yeah. So you can see this subtle shift where they're basically just joined at the hip for most of the movie, uh, which is just goofy. But it just, it follows in that grand tradition of like 48 hours. You can totally see, and I know Eric hates this phrase, but you can see the DNA of that rolling into this one. <laughs> Uh, but even that year, 1988, and by gosh. that we don't mean we don't mean it came on its dress. We're, yeah. we're talking about uh, metaphorically, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. But but that same year you had uh like Die Hard coming out, which just destroyed it. But then you've also got uh like 
Twins had also come out the year, which is another like mismatched buddy action comedy thing with uh, Schwarzenegger and DeVito. The whole thing, yeah, the whole thing sold on Schwarzenegger, DeVito, Twins. twins. That's yeah. all they did to sell the movie because it's <laughs> yeah. like because you know big muscly guy, short yeah. obnoxious guy, yeah. Twins. What? Which huh? which which is funny because it's the same year, 1988. Red Heat also came out, which is basically Schwarzenegger playing a Soviet cop chasing a Soviet criminal in Chicago and they partner him with fucking Jim Belushi. So it's like, yeah. you know, the mismatched pairs that hate each other and then begrudgingly come to respect each other. That's just, that's well, a thing I, in the 80s. Uh, this is the better of those three movies yeah. by a lot. Yeah. I think Midnight Run. <laughs> so, you know, you look at it in that light. It's not so bad, is it? Uh, yeah. So there's some, there's some anachronistic stuff in this movie, right? Because, you know, like, it's something of a time capsule. So yeah. like, like a lot of things... <laughs> Phones. Yeah, the uh, the the pre cell phone world, right? Yeah. Again, it's just better for chases and espionage and this kind of movie that people don't have cell phones. Yeah. Um, and then the smoking. My oh, God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Robert mm-hmm. De Niro is smoking in every possible situation on airplanes. You know, <laughs> yeah. just everywhere. Koto <laughs> keeps stealing pe- people's packs of cigarettes because yeah. he's smoking everyone else's. Yeah. yeah. And then Marvin, yeah. you're like. Watch you watch this guy. He steals your cigarettes. <laughs> like make a big point of that. But I love the scene when they're they're in Arizona and they they're in the diner, and De Niro pulls out the pack of cigarettes, and then Groden's just like, "Can we get some food?" And that's like the chorizo and eggs dialogue with the the, the waitress. And then he's like, "How much money we got left?" And he drops just the, some coins on the counter. He's like, "That's all we have left." And you're buying cigarettes. He's like, "I need these cigarettes." It's like I need these. <laughs> so they make a point to just, you know, sort of subtly show you that he knows what he's doing, but everybody smokes. <laughs> la, 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 la la. So yeah. Yeah. Smoking or non-smoking. <laughs> what, uh, yeah, just 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 the casual smoking interiors and everywhere yeah. else. It's just It's weird. It, it's of a, a time capsule, right? It's of a yeah. of a different era. Yeah. But to me it's um, the, the payphone thing is the one that gets me. It's just so weird to like to watch a movie from my lifetime where you can't get in touch with anybody unless you can get to a phone and right. <laughs> it's like nowadays it's like, Oh, and then you're there, but here you actually have to find a pay phone. You have to have a quarter. You have to do the thing. It's just, it's funny. Uh, I used to keep actually a, a little notepad of phone numbers to pay phones. So that like, if I went somewhere, I could be like, well, just call me here. And that way there would be no quarter <laughs> involved. Because you don't have to pay to call a payphone. You yeah. just need to pay to call out with a payphone. Is that when you were running drugs, man? Yeah. Uh, n- no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's just funny. But the other thing that stands out weird for this movie is that Danny Elfman did the music, but it is that so... That was the big thing I wanted yeah, to get It is to. so not a Danny Elfman score by any measure it's like this weird outlier of his and he's he's already doing scores at this point yeah, this is yeah. this is 88 right so we've already had beetlejuice i think he's certainly been working on it we've yeah. already had peewee's big adventure he's got to be working on batman at this yeah. this is danny elfman phoning in a score <laughs> yeah, this is like, just yeah this is like two songs and some just shit you know yeah. that is whipped up 
Um, and, it's, and it's so funny because you know, every time studio. the action picks up, then it's the same rip. Da 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 da. And then the no, horns so come funny. in. So that's I, the song "Try to Believe," which showed up on the Boingo Boingo album "Dark at the End of the Tunnel" oh, after this movie was released. Nice, nice. That is "Try to Believe." In fact, I looked it up on the soundtrack to "Midnight Run." "Try to Believe" is there as performed by Mosley and the B Men, which is just okay. Yeah. Which is a demo of the song that ended up on the Oingo Boingo album. But yeah, it is. So as a person who listened to the hell out of that album, this song keeps showing up. I kind of felt that this was him trying to do like a straight soundtrack early in his soundtrack career. Like, okay, can I just do like just just nonsense? You know, <laughs> like can yeah. I can I can I achieve you know the the same commercial package as you know my peers? Because you know back then he was trying to be like them, and it, it wasn't until later he decided that he only had two soundtracks in him, Batman and the Simpsons, and everything was some version of those two. I mean, yeah. he did the Summer School soundtrack in 1987 with Mark Harmon, right? Like, he 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 does, you know, this was definitely him trying to get into it, but yeah, this, boy, did he phone this one in. Yeah. yeah. But it's, you know, um, but it also part and parcel of the era. I mean, it's, you know, he's coming off the heels of, uh, like, Lethal Weapon and Michael Kamen doing all the saxophone bullshit in that one. It's sort of, this is kind of in that same realm so you can see the producers in the studio just going get us something like that something snappy but doesn't make a lot of noise doesn't distract you from all the stuff going on i mean it's just so generic which is just why it's weird to me that danny elfman had done it so it doesn't carry any of his flavor it's so strange yeah no in fact it's got this really weird thing where there's like the the other song on the soundtrack is this like walking bass riff which is clearly being played on a sampler yeah and <laughs> it's just not good yeah so it's just, it's a weird amalgam of parts that should fit better but don't quite it's just a weird deal and it i think it just over time it, it hurts its stature as one of the films of the 80s because nobody ever brings it up ever uh, I remember it so fondly, and it it never seemed. I never thought this was a movie that would, you know, not age well. Right. But wow, it mm -hmm. doesn't. It doesn't. No. It's not. It, yeah. It's just it, the comedy doesn't hold up. No. And I think yeah. it's it's part of that maybe because this was literally De Niro's sort of commercial breakthrough, because the movie turned a profit. It actually got him away from the character-driven art movies that he was known for and got all the accolades for, but none of his movies ever really were huge money I mean, I think this was kind of the capitalizing on his, you know, I think his breakthrough right. was The Untouchables the year before. Well, I mean, he, right? yeah, but, which, which yeah. he wanted, this is why he wanted to do this one, because he was tired of doing those types of movies. He wanted something fun. I guess he had tried out for Big 
and the producers wisely oh, decided not to give him the role. And so then Oh man. So after oh, that no. he, he found this one. So this was sort of like his rebound from not getting big. And I'm like I read that and I'm like, can you imagine big with De Niro in the top no. role? <laughs> holy holy shit. Oh my god. So No. Yeah. Uh so that's sort of him kind of easing his pain somewhat for not getting that role. But you know, it's I think even for the time, there's just there's so many f bombs in this thing that it just I think may have hurt it, some of its audience at the time because it's just so in your face, all over the place. And in 1988, it just wasn't done like that, which is just weird to think about now as well. So it's it's whenever they drop an f bomb, you're like, oh, it's it's jarring because it just it's so repetitive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's well, like my final word on this sh- on this movie is is basically I'm gonna parrot what Eric said, which is that I remember it more fondly than I do now, having right? rewatched it. But also, I you know I saw two movies yesterday: Midnight Run and Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And I've got to tell you, <laughs> of the two, the the one that has the best uh, helicopter gets shot and exploding scene is not Midnight Run. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which is <laughs> yeah. True. That's sort of the movie version of saying, but there's you know, f- clean your plate because there's kids starving in Africa. Yeah. you know, it's like there's always something <laughs> worse. Well, I remember when Midnight Run came out, and it's reiterated like in the Wikipedia page for it and other stuff about Midnight Run, like things you may not know about Midnight Run. But I remember <laughs> when the movie came out, and they, I guess it's part of its official press package because they made a point to talk about how when they do the helicopter scene and then they jump into the river like when the river they land in is not actually arizona they had to go all the way to fucking new zealand to film that stuff because the the water the water in arizona was too cold and so they made a point to jude this is the behind the scenes magic of movie making you know and they went it looked like they shot the whole thing in arizona with a stopover in vegas that they went to new zealand yeah they went to new zealand to film the stuff in the river uh, just Jesus. why not? I, you know, the, I actually I read Charles Grodin's book. It would be so nice if you weren't here, which is uh-huh. sort of his biography as an actor. And he talks about doing that shot, you know, in the river. And apparently they had set up a contraption in the water that would basically drag them along so that it looked like they were you know, caught up in the water. Right. And uh, De Niro did it first and nearly drowned to death because (laughs) it basically pulled him under and pulled him along the river for the entire length of this thing. And they, you know, they pull him out. And uh, apparently this is a testament to what a professional Robert De Niro is. He didn't start screaming. He didn't, you know, he didn't throw a fit. He just said. I cannot recommend that Charles do this. That was like the first thing he said. <laughs> what a match. But to yeah. be fair, that's also on the heels of him like badgering Groden to wear real handcuffs for every fucking scene to the point where the poor man had scars the rest of his life from the handcuffs wow. from this movie. Because even in wide shots, when it wouldn't make a difference, De Niro, the total method guy, is just like, yeah, just, yeah, come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, shit. What an ass. Uh, so yeah, it's just, like you say, it's a time capsule. It doesn't hold up as well, but a lot of those movies from the eighties don't anymore. But for some reason, this one is just not regarded, but you can see its influence 
down the line in a bunch of other stuff where filmmakers probably saw it and and it made an impact. And like for me, the other movie I saw this weekend, which because I watched Midnight Run, was uh, from 2003, The Rundown with The Rock and Stifler and mm-hmm. Rosario that was Dawson. The Rock's big, and, yeah, uh, that was like big, his, uh, his big his big breakthrough. But it it's pretty much almost beat for beat Midnight Run just set in the Brazilian jungle, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, holy crap. Because they even give The Rock's character the same sort of basic motivation. He's like, I just want out of this business. I just want to open a small restaurant. Blah, 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 blah. One more job. They're not even out. trying. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then Stifler is basically a hard one to keep under control. And then the whole thing spirals out. It's literally just, this is Midnight Run. Or they so do it like this. run. Well, they yeah. do like this weird like subplot with a like a a artifact Aztec or whatever. Uh, so it's almost like bromancing the stone in a way. <laughs> uh, so it's like yeah, it's just this weird mix, but it's very like slick and and you know cut together. And it's one of Peter Berg's first directorial efforts. Who are going to do like Hancock and uh, Battleship? I guess I don't know. But it's literally the the same movie, just sort of set. And the only thing that makes it watchable is Christopher Walken. So he's like the, he's the Dennis Farina character, and that's it. So it's just ugh. Uh, but but All I will right. I will give Midnight Run. It it nails what it is. You know, it knows that it needs the straight man. It needs the the goofball to kind of play against each other, uh, and then just whatever plot will set all that crap in motion. It is what it is. But it's. Just- I will just. And my 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 final word is: this is the best film you've ever forced us to watch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, and if you're welcome. listening to this podcast, and there's a movie that you remember fondly, but you're worried that maybe it hasn't aged well, you're reach right. out to us and Seriously. force us to watch it. Yes. Um. You can you can hit us up. Uh. We are at on Twitter. We are at maghuge. M a g h u g e. Uh, you can email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. We're the Magnificently Huge Podcast on Facebook and on Instagram. And, yeah, hit us up. Tell us about it. You can always, please, share the podcast with your friends on your social media feeds. Rate us on your podcast app of choice. And uh, you can find all our old episodes on our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. Tell us what to watch. We'll watch it. We'll tell you it wasn't any good. See you then.